Hello everyone, Joshua Gilliland here. It's New Year's Day, towards the end of the first day of 2019, and I'm here with Steve Chu, and we're going to talk about Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. You heard the mini-episode that I did. Steve is a huge Spider-Man fan, and we're going to discuss some of his views on the film and, and some of the other legal issues that are in the movie. Steve, how you doing? Great. Thanks for having me. Love to, uh, love to talk comics and Spider-Man and happy new year, everyone. Happy new year. Now you took your, <laughs> your two sons to see Spider-Verse. I did. Um, so six and nine year old boys and also a friend. Uh, we went and watched it yesterday and to my surprise, it was an early show and the theater was very, very full. So I think the word of mouth is pretty strong on this one and it is doing very well. The reviews have been terrific. And according to my nine-year-old, although I've not verified this, apparently it's the movie's tracking close to a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Well, I have not verified that, but he just kind of threw it out there. And I said, Oh, okay. Well, yeah, that is awesome. Now, what did your boys think of it? They liked it a lot. Uh, they know Spider-Man fairly well, so this is interesting. Um, like some of the discussions we've had over, you know, about these properties and how they resonate with people of different ages. Because, you know, you have sort of the older fans, if you will, folks that grew up with uh, Lee and Ditko, you know, back in the 60s. Then you have uh, folks like um, you and I who grew up in the 80s. Um, you know, 80s and 90s, uh, McFarlane, and you know, uh, you know, there was a lot of great stuff then. And then my boys now, who you know, growing up in the uh, 2000s, they don't know a world in which there was no Spider-Man live-action movie, you know, which was just this goal on the horizon while we were growing up. Uh, and now there's Spider-Man movies everywhere. Many people have played the role. Um, so they are actually pretty familiar with the background of the character and they're savvy enough to know that there's sort of different versions and different actors and different, um, uh, settings, you know, and different stories. You know, you've got the Tobey Maguire movies where he's in college. You've got the, um, Andrew Garfield where I think he might still be in college there or, po you know, Tobey Maguire was post-college. Andrew Garfield, I think he was still in college then. And then, now Tom Holland, who is our family's favorite of all the Spider-Man actors, who's in high school, which I love because that kind of goes back to the roots of the character. You know, he's midtown high um, when he acquires his powers and is dealing with all his problems. Uh, but sort of the short answer to your question is they enjoyed it a lot um, and they got far more references than I had expected. And they, you know, they had a lot of questions for me afterwards as well. So that was, you know, it's always fun to talk about that. Did they gravitate to one of the Spider-Men more so than the others, such as whether it was the Peter Parker of 1610 or the Miles Morales of 1610 or uh, Peter Parker from, you know, the 38 year old who's had a rough go at it or Spider-Man Noir or Penny. Right. Right. Or, or Spider-Woman. Like, does there, do they, do they have a preference? To my surprise, their favorite um, by a landslide was Spider-Man Noir. They just thought he was hilarious, um, how he was just so kind of two-dimensional, you know, black and white. And then he gets 
this, oh, I guess, spoiler alert, right? He gets this Rubik's cube that's full of color and he doesn't know what to do with it. And then he takes it as a souvenir at the end. So um, today my boys set up a fort and one of the things they brought into it was a Rubik's cube to kind of commemorate that. <laughs> wow. Oh, it's, he is, you know, like he's, he's comic relief, but different comic relief than Spider-Ham. And yes, yes. and they, like Spider-Man is known for humor. Like so yeah. with, with the wise cracking and kind right. of being a smart aleck, but not mean type of things. So right. Like, right. Not a bully. Yes. Uh, but humorous, you know, friendly yeah. neighborhood Spider-Man. Exactly. And, well, uh, let me turn that question back on you, Josh. Did you have a favorite version of the uh, of the versions that we saw, at least on screen? Here? Um, that's a little hard to figure out because I liked all of them for different reasons, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's part of the mystique of the character. It's like everyone remembers being an awkward teenager. <laughs> yes. And, and like you know, Miles running around like you know, having his meltdown of like, can they hear my thoughts? Do they know what yes. I'm thinking? It's like, it's like, yep, everyone's been there. It's, and, right. uh, or, or, you know, you know, close to 40 Peter, who's, you know, like life took a bad turn. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I can identify with that. Or you get, sure. you know, Chris Pine's Spider-Man, who's highly effective and funny and, it's like, wow, you figured out how to monetize your superhero gig, which is one of the things I want to talk about. With, right. It's like the fact that he has comics coming out with his origin story that don't blow his secret identity. <laughs> yes. That's a hat trick. Right, right. And uh, so cool uh, to, you know, like the, the Christmas album. And if you hadn't listened to that on Spotify, <laughs> it, it is hysterical. Oh, so wow. They, yeah, it's, uh, and like Noor, it's like I haven't read any of the comics with Noor. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I really liked uh, it was Nicolas Cage with that. And So did you realize who the actors were during the movie? Uh, I, I, I knew going in, even though okay. I don't remember who was Spider-Ham offhand at the moment he was a comedian guy um yeah i just watched a video that showed the voice actors doing the uh voices which is great i always love seeing that for animated features yeah they they all did a wonderful job and, yes and uh the uh the guy who played kingpin he just hosted, hosted saturday night live not too long ago and he he did a fantastic job leave schreiber yeah oh he's he's just he's an actor's actor that guy's amazing yeah great job as kingpin so they really did a beautiful love letter to comics and they were able to do things that you wouldn't do in a live action movie because because when you do a live action movie you're doing a live action movie right right and when you're doing an animated movie you can bring in more of the comic elements Yes. Because, like, if you did, like, you know, the falling off the building with, like, text falling of, like, ah, mm-hmm. it's okay. That works in an animated setting because it looks like a live action comic book. Right. You know, if you did that in a movie, depending on the movie, it could work very well. Uh, yeah. I, or it could break people out of the willing suspension of disbelief. Yeah, because, take you out of it. Right. Uh, I, I think that's a really good point. The visual style 
of the movie was not something I was prepared for. And it was really just amazing because I just kept thinking, I thought several times while watching it that, you know, we're watching a sort of uh, a motion comic, you know, an animated motion comic, because you're seeing text boxes appear, you're seeing the thoughts appear, you're seeing like um, words appear on screen, like when he falls off the building, like, ah. And the closest I can think of um, in terms of a live action movie that tr- captured some of that was the Scott Pilgrim movie, where that actually was kind of like a live action comic. Um, but this was just amazing because you had everything, the inner inner monologue, the um, the text boxes, the little effects, the shadows, the lighting. I mean, it was just, you know, outstanding. You know, you, you said it's a love letter to um, the, the character and it is, but it's also a love letter to just um, comics in general, I think, and Spider-Man comics. Agreed. The, you know, saying, um, Benjus's name come up in the yeah. contact list of the phone. It's like, okay, that's a little... That was great. I love that, yeah. I don't know if they did anything for Ditko like that. Uh, yeah, I, I'd have to see it again to catch it all. Because yeah, stuff is flying by. The Stan Lee appearance, I thought, was very moving because it looked like oh. Stan Lee... Oh, my goodness. It, it looked like Lee from the 70s or 80s with that mystique that he had, <clears throat> pardon me, with with looking more in his prime yeah, as opposed to being in his nineties and right. which is, you know, a different persona. I mean, great. Now his, his personality always shined through, but like being far more agile and, <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, and not in his nineties. Uh, yeah. So the, yeah. He, he deserves, go ahead, sir. Lovely tribute. Yeah, very, very, very moving. Um, and I mean, he, he deserves a lengthy mention all on his own, of course. Um, but uh, I, th- I thought it was just so moving to see him and great to see him um, in an animated form, no less. So yeah, he they could do maybe a little um, more with him. Uh, and it, it, it saddens me to think that we may be down to our last few Stanley cameos in Marvel movies. Uh, my understanding is that he is going to appear in Avengers Endgame. I don't know if he's going to appear in Captain Marvel. Hopefully he will. Uh, but beyond these two movies, you know, I don't know if he would appear anymore. I mean, it, you know, these movies may have been filmed after his, um, his passing, you know, unfortunately. What I could, my guess, this is a guess. I have no knowledge. <laughs> no insider, right? This is how rumors start, right? Yeah, so with that giant caveat, they might follow what they have done in the Marvel TV shows, where in Daredevil, Lee's pitcher appears on the police yeah. precinct as, like, you know, the right. officer in charge. Yeah. Uh, either in, I don't remember if it was Luke Cage or Jessica Jones. You know, his picture is on like a, a convenience store window. Yeah. So, right, right. So there are, there are probably ways that they could do tributes. I, and, I think that'd be nice. Yeah. And it would be lovely if they could do stuff for Kirby as yeah. well. And because uh, they've done that in The Gifted, uh, which if, if you haven't seen that, highly recommend it. You know, they they had the Kirby garage. Yeah. And so there was a, you know, a big auto shop, auto, mm-hmm. you know, junkyard and like Kirby's name on, on it. It's like, okay, that's a nice little. Yeah. 
there, there, there have been a lot of nice tributes just throughout the various movies, TV shows. Um, and some of the writers, um, like Chris Claremont of X-Men actually appeared in, um, the first, um, the first Phoenix movie, I forget what it was called now, but the, um, he was one of the people watering the lawn when Jean Grey suddenly uses her powers to kind of lift objects throughout the neighborhood. So that was pretty hilarious. I thought, Hey, Chris Claremont, who, you know, comic fans know him very well, but outside the comics world, he's not really, you know, nearly as well known, not like a Stan Lee. Um, so that was neat. Well, that are, you know, working in a Walt Simonson under Thor. Yes, right. Or Straczynski in the Thor movie when he tries to pick up the hammer. <laughs> that sort of thing is delightful to yes. see because it's like those writers put their mark on the character and it's nice to see them get recognition. Absolutely. Because it's like we wouldn't be here without them. Yeah. So to, to, your, to your original point, the, the Stanley homage was, um, yeah, I, I got some chills you know, when I saw that. I just thought, oh, my goodness. And he's like, he's like that kind um, uncle or grandpa or whatever that just tells you stories and you just love to, you love to, um, to see him and to just, you could listen to his stories for hours, you know. So, yeah, just great to see him. Absolutely. Let's well. Let's get into some of the other analysis here. So, in the mini episode, I, I talked about the liability for the particle collider for uh, how would you sue him, and <laughs> you know, sue Kingpin and, and the companies that did that. And I think New York law would provide a remedy because it's it's like blasting in the downtown area. Sure, like, it's like you did the experiment. That's bad. Massive property damage you're going to be strictly liable for it. I, I think it's a nice, clear line. The The issue of Parker of 1610 monetizing himself, uh, one's brilliant. You know, yeah. he, you know he, he'd been a superhero for 10 years, and somewhere along the line he figured out merchandising. <laughs> and uh, it's like, how do you launder money without disclosing your secret identity so you can get all the wonderful toys that you need and not like violate Rico because what you're doing is vigilanteism and you need to have police <laughs> officers who are not cool with it. It's because it, it's problematic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so if I could jump in for a moment, mm-hmm. you know, as you, you've kind of spotted two, um, two, issues or you know, themes here you know as to the first um the kingpin's liability for property damage uh one would hope it would be as straight a line as you're saying that you kingpin would be strictly liable because he engaged in some sort of dangerous activity dangerous experiment which then had a tremendous fallout and caused tremendous damage um in the comics at least the kingpin we've seen he has an army of lawyers and it is very difficult to pin anything on on him and we're talking about not not even like witness intimidation or things like that which he does resort to but just even in the courtroom it, is, it has been so difficult to to beat him at anything um and i guess this might be jumping ahead a little bit but in the ultimate um comments by brian michael bendis you know there is a scene early on where kingpin is caught on video killing someone and i mean that's you know right there he's caught red-handed and yet he is able to flee the country. And so he gets to another country where he won't be extradited. 
And as lawyers are able to clear the way, you know, it takes a while, maybe a, a year or so, but they're able to clear the way for him to return and yet not be convicted and stand trial for this murder. So, um, you know, one would like to think that that could never happen in the real world. But if you follow some of the high profile uh, criminal prosecutions, white collar and otherwise, um, you'll see, you know, these these things happen. Um, there are always a lot of things um, that are in play for prosecutor decisions. Um, the line prosecutors can be overruled by people up the chain because they are looking at a bigger picture or some other angle. Um, you know, so it could be possible Kingpin, despite, um, you know, the movie starts off with a bang when he kills the Peter Parker that we're hearing about. Uh, one would like to think that that's the end of the story for King Kingpin. He should be, you know, in prison, um, answering for his crime, but you know, maybe not. Uh, there are still a lot of things that have to happen before that, that would occur. Yeah. Like witnesses. Cause there has to be probable cause to connect him yes. to the crime. So yep. uh, can you prove it in court? And the only witness that that would truly be able to testify you know is is miles and yes. that would disclose his secret identity if he did so right maybe i'm mean, like it, it's it's problematic i'm like oh this is where my uncle took me and and how i ended up there but that's a dangerous road for him to go down because he could end up disclosing i got powers which is how i was able to yes. get out, out of there and- and the Kingpin's defense attorneys, if they're worth you know, their salt, they would absolutely demand that he have to testify, uh-huh. reveal his identity, that it would violate the confrontation clause if he did not testify and subject himself to cross-examination. And then when he's on the stand on cross, they'd be asking hard questions of what were you doing there? Oh, uh-huh. what did you find? Oh, what was your motive? Really? How well could you really see this? You've just been bitten by a spider. Oh, so you were confused, weren't you? You know, there's... There, there are just so many ways to poke holes in Miles' story. And, um, you know, his father's a police, um, I don't know, detective. Uh, he would probably be terrified to have his child, you know, have to um, be subject to this this kind of attack on the stand. So, you know. The, the other way to, to do it was to get the enforcer who was with Kingpin to flip Somehow. Tombstone, I believe it was. Yeah. It looked like him. It was, yeah. I think, yeah, and I, I think it was Tombstone, uh, or if we're dealing with a, the Ultimate Universe, it was somebody else. I don't know, but yeah. uh, uh, um, could you get Tombstone to flip? Because that would be the easier, right? Because they probably got him on other things as well. <laughs> yeah. So if you're trying to get a plea deal out of Tombstone or lessen the sentence, because there's lots of things that they could go after him for. Right. That would that would be good. Sure. Uh, or if there was footage of him, you know, like dumping the body of Parker. You know, if they're able to find right. something, whether it's a red light camera or you know, some security footage, you know, right. it's entirely. Yeah. Wrong. If there's, there's some video documentary evidence of him, you know, that would certainly help. Um, you know, so we're, we're talking about Kingpin's civil liability and now we're talking about his criminal uh-huh. liability as well. Um, but I, I also just wanted to mention that I thought the portrayal of the Kingpin was just outstanding too in this, um, in this movie. I mean, he is this sort of omnipresent crime boss who has his hands in a lot of things. Um, similar to the recent um, Netflix Daredevil series where 
even though Kingpin was in prison, he's still running things. And that's happened in comics too, that you think he's, he can't do stuff because he's behind bars, but in fact, he's still the puppet master and he's got guards on his payroll. He's got law enforcement. He's got, you know, all these people, politicians in his pocket. Um, That part is not explicitly spoken to in this movie, but it's clear that this is a guy who, you can't just convict him, send him to prison and say, okay, we're free of him because you're never really free of him. Yeah. No. And, and that's raises interesting questions of justice. If you're, if the system's getting corrupted by him, what do you do? Because yeah. the good guys aren't supposed to kill people. Uh, you know, which then brings in the Punisher mantra. <laughs> yep. It's like, Oh, he's too dangerous to live. It's like, we really don't want to go down that road, but if that's what's. Yeah. And which was the beauty of, Daredevil season three on how they, on how they handle that. And Mm -hmm. that's a discussion for another day. Yeah. uh, You know, last thought here on the Kingpin. Um, It's interesting though, that they don't make Kingpin a two dimensional character. They give him additional depth because his, um, his goal at least is somewhat noble or sympathetic because he's doing all this to get his family back, his wife and his son, you know, Richard Fisk and Vanessa and in the comics that's really keeping with the portrayal in the comics of his character which is you know he's this big tough hulking brute of a guy with a brilliant criminal mind but the one thing that humanizes him is his genuine love for Vanessa um, who really kind of you know calms him and um, balances him out uh, emotionally and then his son Richard with whom he has a very complicated relationship in the comics but he generally, you know, say what you will about him, but he generally does, genuinely does care very much about his family. So he's doing, granted, he's doing these things that could be considered terrible. I mean, this dangerous experiment, but the goal is to get back to his loved ones. Um, so, you know, you know, that that's, that's a goal that people could at least identify with. Yeah. But that also means he's kidnapping <laughs> two people. Yes. From another version of himself. Right. Unless they found the Dahlberg-Ganger universe where he was dead mm-hmm. or somehow out of the picture. Right. And so, it, but it's still kidnapping. Yeah. And that's, it, that's still a problem. <laughs> yeah. I mean, fast, so fascinating story um, implications and also just fascinating legal implications. Cause I mean, you're right. Um, he, let's say he, he pulls it off and, you know, we get that scene towards the end of the movie where you see Vanessa and Richard, presumably from another universe, Let's say he gets them and brings them into his universe and keeps them there. Um, well, so one within the story continuity, you've got the issue of if you're not from this universe, you start glitching. So how do you fix that? Number one. And number two, this is not your Richard and Vanessa. Um, you just took this Richard and Vanessa from someone else in that universe, like that Kingpin. So aren't you kidnapping? And, and you're right. You absolutely are. You're taking someone out of their universe um, because you want to replace the person you lost in yours. And uh, you know, I, I, I know we don't want to go too far down this road, but the idea of the parallel universes, the mirror universes, that's been explored very well in Star Trek. Um, and I'm thinking, I mean, not just in the original series, um, but also in Deep, Deep Space Nine, where Benjamin Sisko loses his wife in, you know, in the first episode. Well, it's alluded to you know, flashbacks in the first episode. And then he finds the mirror universe and he actually, his mirror universe wife comes and visits them and 
has some moments with their son, Jake, who's thinking, well, you're not my mom, but you look like her and you have a lot in common with her. And they do kind of bond. And then they raise these kind of ethical questions of, you know, what do you do when this person is not exactly your, you know, your mom, but can kind of fill that void? You know, what do you do? Like, can you have them stay in your world? Um, is it right to expect that of them? The the other wrinkle, and that term's intentional, is time's involved as well. Because Spider-Woman got thrown back in time a week when she got pulled in. Yes. Right. Allowing her to get established and figure out a way to register at high school and <laughs> she was a sleeper agent basically <laughs> yeah and like hanging out for a week so there's a there's a time element that happened a equally dangerous experiment would be if there was a temporal solution to try to pull out vanessa and richard before the accident that killed them which, yes, sounds, right. which sounds a lot like free jack all of a sudden yes <laughs> going just, way back josh i love it <laughs> it's you know let's let's talk about mick jagger and yes. oh my god mick uh, jagger and wasn't it um Emilio estevez yes oh my god <laughs> an yep. awesomely bad movie i would say but you know a lot of charm a lot of charm, and I worked at a movie theater in high school, and that was one of the things that was that I sold tickets for back in the day. Love it, love it, yeah. But if you, it's like if you had that scenario that you pulled them out of time prior to the accident, you don't Hopefully, you wouldn't disrupt the time stream and create a, you know, paradox that would destroy all the reality. Yes. So, so there's that element of you're going to pull them out again, free jack models. Some bodies need to go in. So you don't. Oh yeah, right. So you don't create a paradox, uh, but that at least would absolve the kidnapping issue. Um, and and, that's what happened. Also, remember in um, uh, Star Wars, um, Clone Wars, and yep. you know Rebels with Ahsoka, mm-hmm. she gets yanked out, you know, before she dies, and then pulled into like this nether world, and then reinserted into the real world again. The world between worlds. And, yes, that was uh, amazing. That, that was a great twist when that happened. Yes, it was. And that is another option that they could have done, but that wouldn't necessarily have gotten the multiverse involved. So it right, would, have been, right. would have been a different issue. But, and, and Richard Fisk, too, it's worth pointing out that in some of the comics, you know, he's taken several different roles he became the rose in one spider-man comic where he kind of took over the kingpin's role as a crime boss and um, was pretty effective for a while uh there's that and then also in brian michael bendis's daredevil outstanding daredevil run with um, alex malieve richard it begins with richard fisk um plotting to kill his father with uh, another you know crime boss's son named silk and um and that I, you know, I guess I don't want to go too much into the spoilers on that one. I, I would say definitely go read that series. You know, Google Daredevil and Bendis because that's just some of the best comic um, storytelling out there. But um, and, you know, as we said earlier, Richard Fisk has a complicated relationship with his father. So um, you know, if he lets Richard live, uh, that may not actually be good for him. So. <laughs> there are ways to to avoid. Uh, uh, prophecies. It's yes, a, right. The best way is trying to avoid the prophecy usually causes it. So, <laughs> right. It's like I'm just going to 
be the best dad I can be. And, you know, hopefully Junior won't murder me at some point because <laughs> I think most parents just hold out that hope. It's like, no, I just, I don't want the pillow over my face at some time. And yeah, uh, right, right. Uh, uh, so, yeah, let's, let's just be loving and sweet and educate and hope everything works out for the best as opposed to, <laughs> I will send him to a faraway place that will purposely embitter him and give him horrible experiences and it'll revenge. So yeah, right, right. Don't do the Greek model. Try something new. <laughs> Try being. So you, you had raised um, also the issue of money laundering. You know, mm-hmm. with, um, the spot we're presented the first Spider-Man with whom we are presented is this sort of idealized version where everything's just going well for him. You know, he's at the top of his game. He's married. He's a hero. He's monetized everything. Like you said, and that part is ver- was very interesting for me because in most of the Spider-Man stories, uh, many of the stories, uh, and I think there's one reason why he's so relatable for people is that he was one of the first superheroes with problems and he always needed money. You know, he, he would save the universe and just be, you know, be um, this daring hero that would do amazing things and then get home and yet find that he couldn't pay his rent, you know, or he couldn't afford, you know, to, to, um, to get takeout that night. Um, things that you could really relate to, you know, like you have a hard day, you come home, it's like, oh, uh, okay, how do I pay this electric bill this month or something? And that, that was Spider-Man. And it's um, this idea of, can he or should he, you know, use his power for money? I mean, that's explored in his origin story, right? Because he became that wrestler uh, at first. I mean, we're going all the way back to Amazing Fantasy, you know, 15 here, um, where he does use it for money and then he kind of pays the price. But that story is explored later on too. Uh, in J. Michael Straczynski's run on Spider-Man, he creates kind of um, a Spider-Verse uh idea as well because peter meets a couple versions of himself um first he meets this uh older version of himself who is very wealthy and at some point decided to just cash in on his abilities and you're not not told exactly why or how um, but it's clear that he's monetarily very successful although he might be lonely or something um so you see that and then straczynski also introduces the character of ezekiel who is sort of, um, if you remember, he's like an older, um, he's not Peter Parker, but he's very similar. He has the same powers and he decided to use his power to make money. And it's not clear. They don't explain how he made the money, but he's very, very wealthy. And he reaches out to Peter because he wants to help Peter. And he's thinking, you know, Hey, you're me 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, I've got all the money now. What can I do to help you? And I mean, there's a specific reason. I mean, that's the whole, um, Spider-Man coming home uh, story with Moreland, you know, the vampiric, uh, vampiric kind of enemy. Um, but that, that, that was very well done too. You know, so again, Peter's kind of presented with this idea there that, well, I guess I could monetize my power or cash in and you know, why don't I? And there was one other version and I want to say, is it House of M maybe where in the future, it's an alternate universe. Peter's married to Gwen Stacy, and Gwen Stacy is actually like CEO of like some Parker kind of corporation. And I think they have monetized the Spider-Man, you know, kind of brand there. So, as to your initial question of, well, how could he make this money without kind of giving up his identity? That would maybe one be one way to do it: set up a corporation, have uh, some trusted loved ones run it, and he makes appearances, or maybe he even gets other people to kind of put on the. Uh, put on the costume for party appearances and stuff like that, you know, but 
there could be ways to do it. There could be ways to do it. And what the 1610 Peter Parker did, I think was in line with the character because the money that was made was used to further helping people as Spider-Man. So you don't see a mansion that's built. Right. See, it's, it's the same humble house. And except the shed goes into a bunker that's this massive. <laughs> we do have the spider mobile and yes. the different outfits. So it looks like everything was used for law enforcement activities and you know to fund being Spider Man. I think that's a different element. I mean you could almost claim it's a non profit corporation that could have been formed. <laughs> Uh, 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 and going like, hey, I'm radically popular. People like me. Kids like me. I'm a role model. So let's let let's not let the people who dislike me tell my story. Let yep. me let me be the master of my destiny here, and we'll yeah. do comics that that keep me anonymous somehow without blowing my cover. Yeah, control the narrative. Yeah, and like I don't conceptually have a problem with that. You still have the issue of like, is that a RICO violation? Because <laughs> it, it's and unless there's like a tacit agreement with law enforcement of, you know, he doesn't beat people up too bad. There isn't excessive force issues. He's you know saved us from blowing up enough times that we're just cool with this because yeah, he's not. Right. There's no abuse of power, right? right. Uh, and going, you know, you know, like granted, it's it's silly going like, hey, there's a Christmas album. It's like if you achieve that level of popularity, yeah, it's like, what are you doing with the funds? Yeah, if the yeah. money is just being used for spider mobiles and costumes and making goobers to, you know, save the day, that's okay. If it's being used for massive personal gain, or at best, you know, my wife makes lots of money, and neither of us will ever starve, and we're going to have a nice upper middle class lifestyle, like that—that's all fine. Yeah. Um, it's just different to see a superhero fall into that category of you know he's not Tony Stark rich, right, right, but, but not not bankrupt either. Yeah, so that that was interesting, and I'm wondering how many people um, had um, flashbacks or just were thinking of the um, the parallels to Batman. Mm-hmm. You know, when Peter goes into the when they go into the um, spider cave, if you will, you know, they go downstairs, and there's a gigantic underground base with all of his various outfits, all of his gear, all of his uh, vehicles. Um, there's definitely a pretty big bat cave or spider cave, you know, kind of parallel there. Uh, and he's used the money, like you said, for law enforcement and uh, to kind of fight crime. So does that make it better? I mean, it makes it more palatable, you know, easier to swallow, I think, because the idea of someone just kind of getting rich and living this you know, hoity-toity lifestyle definitely would seem to get away from the character, which is, you know, you like these characters because they were everyday people who suddenly had powers and they decided to use them for good. You know, of course, his tagline with great power comes great responsibility um you know so use that to help people rather than use it for your own benefit right yeah and like we don't know 
like how much the merchandising was making like except the spider layer did look big or nest or whatever we want to call it uh having it at maze is also a mild diversion even though because it's not at his house so like which would like really paint the target that hey peter right spider-man right. putting it in aunt may's yeah they could still trace it to him but at least it's less obvious yes uh that you're not going to expect a little old you know grandma type person to you know have the super duper bunker <laughs> in the backyard uh you know living in a nice modest house in um uh, Queens, Queens, yeah. which is just—it's just adorable little home. Yeah, and, and like you're—you're you're not going to expect that because no. she's been living like Bruce Wayne. And how? I mean, how great too was Aunt May and Lily Tomlin? This uh, every Aunt May I've seen has been my favorite. Which, which <laughs> you know, the original, and I, I'm blanking on the actress's name from the Tobey Maguire era. Looks like literally looked like she came off. Oh, Rosemary. Um, oh gosh. Uh, uh, we, we we could check Google. Yeah. But, uh, but I mean, she looked like she came off the comic book page. Yep. Yep. The subsequent ones said, "Like, why would Sally she Field?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like Sally yeah. Field and um, Marissa Torm- Torme. Torme. Yeah. That. If she, if Aunt May is an aunt, that okay, she's not a grand aunt. Okay, maybe she could be, but it's like making her go like, okay, she if she's supposed to be like a uh, Peter's father's sister, or Ben Parker. So yeah, that, so. Uncle Ben was related to Peter's dad. Richard Parker, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're brothers. Uh, as opposed to, you know, Uncle Ben was, you know, dad's uncle right. type, type situation. So that way, that looks like it makes sense. Because mm-hmm. theoretically, siblings aren't going to be like 40 years apart in age. Right, right. Because that, that would be hard to pull off. Yeah. Um, possible. But not likely, uh, unless you had the like eighty-year-old dude marrying like a thirty-year-old woman type right. situation, uh, which which would again just be a little on the weird side. Yeah, uh, and, and that that's you know Richard Parker wasn't the Texas billionaire. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. Uh, so so that aside, like I've liked the Aunt May's looking like they're the right age to be his aunt as opposed to the comic book one. Right. Lily Tomlin just took it in such a radically different direction. Doing the confirmation like, yeah, Aunt May always knew. Mm -hmm. And and in in this universe was like the willing participant. She was like an Alfred to a degree of, um, like like knowing what the goober is like no she was definitely yes. she was definitely in on everything and, and she she was surprised by nothing like, you know it was like oh it took you long enough and yeah. oh great it's live you know <laughs> <laughs> hi live it's just like and, rock on <laughs> and when she said I, I was half expecting when she said wait can you guys all take it outside you know sort of before you trash my house I was half expecting them all to say, oh, oh, yeah, sure, sure. We're sorry about that. And then I'd go out on the street and kill each other. You know? <laughs> sorry. Because, again, she, she had presence. And she did. Yeah. It's just a very 
I just again I've always loved Lily Tomlin, whether it yes. was on West Wing or uh, mm-hmm. all, all of me. You know, she's yeah. you know just a wonderful actress. Yeah, she's awesome. Uh, and and they did, if I remember right, because like I didn't read the Ultimates Spider-Man. You know, I, I didn't read every version of of mm-hmm. comic that Marvel pumps out because that'd be crazy and expensive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, but. Didn't Aunt May give Miles Peter's old web slingers? She did. Um, so that was the end of the um, Ultimate Spider-Man series with Peter Parker. Is the, I guess spoiler right? But he he dies, and they have his funeral. And I mean, those are just some of the most powerful stories because um, I won't go too far down the tangent. But you have people like J. Jonah Jameson who you know kind of hated Peter Parker and wrote all these stories attacking him but then during this huge cataclysm of new york he saw spider-man go back time and again risking his own life to save other people until he himself died and um and you get this amazing moment where j jonah jameson just says you know i was wrong i was so wrong and i'm ashamed of myself that i see that um this guy was a true hero and i was tearing him down the whole time and so he starts writing good stories, you know, to try to you know, rectify what he's done, leading to a, a really uh, powerful moment when at the funeral for Spider-Man, uh, Aunt May is there with um, Gwen Stacy, who she's kind of adopted as her you know, daughter at that point. And Captain America comes to him to, to her to apologize. And, and he says, I'm sorry, ma'am, this was my fault. And she says, you told him he was not worthy, didn't you? And he said, yes, ma'am, and he's crying. And she said, you told my son, who risked his life time and time again, my nephew, time and time again, who saved New York so many times and saved so many people's lives that he was not worthy. And, and you know, he's just tears rolling down his cheeks saying, yes, I did. And if I recall correctly, I think she slaps him and then walks out of the church and then she just faints when she sees, like, all the paparazzi out there. And then it's Jane Joda Jameson who is standing above her all of a sudden reaches out his hand to her and says, ma'am, um, I'm Jane Jonah Jameson. You know, I, I knew your nephew. And um, if you could, I think, I really think you'll regret it if you don't go back in there and um, why don't you take my hand and I'll take you back inside. And, you know, like he kind of fulfills, um, he comes sort of full circle and it's right around that time that you see the appearance of Miles Morales. And it, at first, you don't get an explanation for why he has this power, but he's dressing up as Spider-Man. He's jumping around. He's got this power. And later on, um, Aunt May does give Miles Peters web shooters as sort of like a passing of the torch. Um, and incidentally, you know, we also find out, this is the ultimate universe again, that Peter's essentially immortal because of the... Um, uh, you know, the power he got, which is similar to what Norman Osborn um, got you know, through Oscorp, that um, the power makes him virtually um, you know, immortal, essentially. So Peter does come back and then he goes off and, you know, we can only imagine he's just living um, hopefully happily ever after with Mary Jane. Uh, meanwhile, Miles Morales, Morales has now taken on the um, the mantle. So... So yes, as you said, Aunt May does kind of pass that on to Miles, and she she does a little bit here too. You know, she does the same thing, which is nice. That and you know, he he inherits a spider base. 
Like, yes. that's, one, that's one way to look at it. Cause like she would turn him away if he shows up, you know, may I really need your help? <laughs> right. Like, like she would right. say no because she like, would, who are you? <laughs> she would honor her nephew. Like yeah. she, the, she would completely honor her nephew. Um, now what I thought was interesting was that Gwen Stacy doesn't admit that her best friend was her version of Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. Right. And my God, I mean, so Spider Gwen, have you read the Spider Gwen comics? I, not all of them, but I, but you know, I do get them. <laughs> yeah. So even if, you know, uh, I, I don't get monthlies anymore. And since I had the kids, it's just been much harder to keep up with, but I, I still read trades when I can. And, anyone that follows comics is aware of the popularity of the spider Gwen character, which I think is great because Gwen Stacy, you know, I mean, everyone, you know, most spider fans will know this, of course, that she's introduced as sort of this idealized um, girlfriend in the, in the sixties, 1960s. Um, and she's, you know, the, uh, this beautiful kind um, policeman's daughter, <clears throat> But she, and then her death at the hands of the Green Goblin you know, um, is a driving point, you know, a character point for um, for Peter Parker. Uh, and, you know, her being thrown off the bridge is, is a reference just so many times, you know, in Spider-Man lore. But her character herself was actually relatively shallow. I mean, you know, she didn't have, we didn't really know a lot about her. She didn't get to do much. She never got to be heroic or anything like that. And then the Spider Gwen idea now suddenly gives her a lot more dimension to her character because she's the one that experiences the tragedy. She's the one that takes on the mantle. She's the one out there risking her life. Um, and I thought her portrayal was just outstanding in this movie. Haley Steinfeld, I believe, is her name, um, also appearing right now in Transformers Bumblebee. Yep. Um, so yeah, she's a uh, she's really in the spotlight right now and doing a great job, I think. Uh, but yeah, what, what did you think of Spider-Gwen? I, I, thought, I, I thought it was a wonderful character and I thought they did a really nice job with her. And as with all the spider people, you know, Spider-Ham was fantastic. <laughs> Spider-Ham, I love him. It's the fact that they made that work exceptionally well as, as they did with Noor. Uh, so we will find out. We'll find out um, if they do more movies with her uh, because I thought it was a lot of fun uh, with, with yeah. what they did. It, it just like the voice actors had wonderful chemistry. Yes. The apparently the uh, Peter Parker from, I don't know what number universe, 38 year old Peter didn't have a Gwen Stacy accident. They don't reference it at least. Um, yeah. Right. Because you know, like he's he's uncomfortable, you know, wanting to go talk to Mary Jane because his version left her, and it's it's Gwen who says like I know what you're feeling and like don't do it, and it's like I mean like she's yeah. purposely referring to him, like and without saying it, yeah. and and I don't know if Peter. I mean, the fact that there's like no emotional reaction to seeing Stacy. I mean, I think that that means he didn't have, you know, her die. Like they weren't, she either didn't exist or that didn't happen. Right. From his reality. Because if you saw someone 
who you were romantically involved with and you were responsible for her death mm-hmm. or she was going to die anyway and you tried to save her and she still dies, like you're going to have an immediate reaction to that. Sure, sure. In addition to your ex, seeing your ex-wife who you still have feelings for, that'd be a double barrel whammy. Right. And that would have been a lot to have like hit the you know, uh, elder Peter yes. who, uh, with, with all of that angst at once. So that, that's a good point. Um, I, I think that, you know, that all makes sense. And it is very possible that maybe he did not have a Gwen Stacy defining you know, death moment in his um, timeline. Um, but it is possible. You know, I mean, it's possible it happened. And the reason I say that is because uh, Mary Jane has been such a big part of Peter's life. And she is, she has really proven to be sort of like the love of his life in most of the comic lore now and the recent movies. And um, some of the the people that did uh, the Sam Raimi, uh, I'm sorry, not the Sam, the Andrew Garfield movies, um, said that they really wanted to bring Gwen Stacy back be, because um, uh, she had kind of been forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Mary Jane was the one that everyone knew, the redhead, you know, face the tiger, you had the jackpot. Um, so... Gwen Stacy ends up being sort of a distant memory for a lot of people now, you know, only people that kind of read or are familiar with some of the older stories uh, know her as well. Um, so, you know, I don't know. To me, that 38-year-old version of Peter Parker, it seemed to be the Peter Parker in the main universe that we got in the early 2000s because during that time, Peter's a little bit down on his luck. Uh, he separated, though not divorced, from Mary Jane. I know there was talk at the writers' conferences at Marvel about, okay, well, do we just permanently split them up or do we get them back together? And one of the main reasons for splitting them up was because there was just a lot more story potential then. Um, If Peter's on his own, he can meet other people, have various other relationships, whereas it's hard to kind of write the marriage into everything. Uh, You know, I think we've seen this with a lot of famous duos, like um, the Lois and Clark movie, you know, the Lois and Clark Superman TV series. They didn't want to get them together because it it um, took away a lot of the story potential once they did. Um, Peter Parker, Mary Jane Watson, you know, a lot of writers who worked on the titles have said, well, having them together you know, kind of puts the handcuffs on some writers. Like There's a lot that they cannot do or they have to kind of keep explaining, um, you know, what's this doing to the marriage? Um, so I, I don't know. You know yeah. It's an angle. Yeah, I don't agree with it. I mean, like, I think it's... Uh... I'm not a comic book writer, or nor do I write fiction. I think that's a cop out. I'm like people get married. <laughs> people get married in real life. And, yes. Yeah. And and have families. It's and to say that you know having a family is not an adventure. Uh, it's like <laughs> it's like, work for Reed and Sue Richards. Right. Okay. And you can't have them in this like perpetual game of chase. You know, and Superman's marriage to Lois works. You know, I'm still yeah. not thrilled with Batman and Catwoman not tying the knot because right, right. I, I think that could have worked. So, I, again, as The Bachelor, I, I say I think that's hogwash. <laughs> that, that you marriage, marriage is a game of politics. It's a game of adventure, and going like, oh well, you know, him being a hero would put stress on the marriage bull. Yeah. I I think, you know, 
you know, when you think of, uh, you know, like, you know, Peter and Mary Jane making a deal with the devil to bring Aunt May back, but it costs them their marriage and you know, knocks their daughter out of existence. Yes. That's not a heroic thing. Moreover, Aunt May would have been livid at yes. something like that. So I, I just, I, I think it's a cop out. And some people, yes. I, I, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So, which is why, you know, the, the end of this movie is endearing that Peter goes back and tries to, yeah. you know, reconnect with Mary Jane. Uh, I couldn't tell because it was quick, but I don't know if he's slimmed down. If he's <laughs> looking hit, at the, hit the gym a little bit first, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's, it's like I'm going to start doing sit-ups before I'm going to do this. There's going to be a game plan. I'm going yeah, to yeah. N- not look like a hobo. We're going to do this right. and do it right because I love her. It's like, good. Love wins. Yeah. They yeah. It's like, that's what we want to see, not this perpetual yes. game of just chase. So that, that reminds me of um, something that I heard from J. Michael Straczynski um, at San Diego Comic-Con when he d- did one of his panels, which I highly recommend. He's just a, a very engaging speaker and a very insightful writer. But um, his run on Spider-Man was one of my favorites. And he wrote the the main universe, Spider-Man, not the ultimate universe. Um, but he says that the, he, he has said that the main character in the Spider-Man comic is Peter Parker, not Spider-Man. And that the focus should be on Peter Parker because that's what people can relate to. Uh, and also that Peter, Peter Parker, although he got his powers from the spider, he got his strength from Aunt May and Uncle Ben. And I always thought that was just you know, tremendously meaningful because if you look at this movie, it actually plays out in this movie. You know, Miles, he, he's got the spider bite, he's got the powers, but it's not until he has this powerful moment with his father through, you know, through the door where his father says, hey, I love you, I support you, I want to be there for you. It's not till that happens that Miles is suddenly able to click things into place and go out and you know, save the world. Um, you know, very, uh, very powerful stuff, I think. There's a second issue because that's Dad Jefferson Davis, which is an unfortunate name. <laughs> giving, and I don't know if that was purposely intentional or not, but you have him validating Miles as a son. Dad then spends a lot of time talking about not liking Spider-Man because he's a vigilante. Yeah. Yep. Miles getting beat the you know the crap out crap being beat out of him by kingpin yes now to hear you know his dad yelling get up spider-man like it's like so validated for both identities yes Yes. yeah which which was i thought beautiful because that's like that's where he's able to get up and do the the hay move yes right right and and um yeah just beautiful father son it it was um just some very very powerful story moments very very powerful character moments um and and just kind of um springboarding off of your earlier um, point about well can spider-man have a family can he be married you know marriage family certainly are many people would say are the greatest adventure um and you know they are certainly um uh, tremendous adventures they might not play out as well in a comic book, you know, format or, you know, a, a big, uh, big budget special effects movie. But, you know, there, there is a lot of, um, a lot of story material there. And 
one question I had in my mind while watching this movie was, well, how many versions of Spider-Man will we see? Because there were still many that did not appear. One that I was hoping to appear um, was uh, Mayday Parker, you know, his daughter who becomes Spider-Girl in the future, in the future where Peter Parker and Mary Jane are married, they're older, Peter works at a crime lab, and um, he's had an injury to his leg, so he walks with, you know, assistance. Um, and it's really May who takes on the, uh, their daughter May who takes on the mantle and she, you know, does a great job. And those are just some outstanding comic stories. Um, but they explore the whole family dynamic there, you know, sort of what if Spider-Man did get married and settled down and had a kid, raised the family, then what? Well, you know, the story continues. Um, yeah, it's, you can't ignore the impact of the Fantastic Four, you know, like that yep. kicked off the age of comics that we have. We would not have Spider-Man. We would not have the comics that we have today yep. without the Fantastic Four shattering the norm of what comic book stories were. Because yep. there's that's still a family dynamic, and the return of that comic has been so much fun. Yeah, and and there's more dynamic with the the Richards kids or you know kids being older because you know time jumping around dimensions time a decade passed for reed and see with the kids while only a year passed for johnny yeah. and, and ben so that way they're right. age up the kids and it's working and it worked in 1962 when those comics mm -hmm. started and i think that dynamic can work for other characters yeah. now that doesn't necessarily mean you want every comic to have that yeah but I think it can work because that, that's part of life. And if you start with a character when he's a teenager and a decade goes by and he's now in his 20s or going to 30s, you don't want arrested development where they never right. learn. They never right. grow. And well, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, to sort of one of the underlying themes of what we're discussing tonight, um, that is that why is Spider-Man so popular? And why has Spider-Man remained so popular? Um, and I think the reason uh, that audiences have been able to connect so much with the character is because he is so relatable that we identify um, with the character. We see ourselves in the character. Um, the character faces problems that we ourselves face. So to your point, um, getting married, having a family, those are adventures that everyone grows up at some point. Um, not everyone gets married necessarily, but you know, you, you deal with those type of issues, relationships, um, dating um you know if you even if you do not have your own kids you know chances are um, you're going to be around children at some point through friends or family and um you'll be involved in some of these sort of you know story arcs um so yeah why not have these characters in the comics kind of age and encounter some of these same life issues i i think mayday parker would have been amazing to have seen yeah I think they again guessing no knowledge it would have been an interesting dynamic if if she had been there and say penny parker had not yeah but, but by bringing penny parker in you get a radically different spider-man yeah that is just different and just having maybe they wanted to have that level of creativity 
Because mm-hmm. right. like, that, that was a character I had like no clue about. Oh, that was off the wall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, like, and it's like, I consider myself knowledgeable about comics, not, not expert level, but knowledgeable. And I was like, okay, that's one I have not heard of. That, that was obscure. And I mean, the Marvel universe and DC universes are such that uh, I really am just um, impressed with the editors in chief at these um, companies because there are so many obscure characters, many of whom appear maybe only once or twice. Um, and many of them appear in elsewheres, you know, else world stories or what if stories, um, which I, I always think is a very fertile ground for outstanding ideas because you know, writers are no, are no longer constrained by the rules of the universe. They can do that. You get, you know, your dark Knight returns or your Spider-Man reign or kingdom come or something like that, or old man Logan. Then, um, but uh, yeah, she was pretty off the wall, and I, I admit I I did not know a lot about that character. <laughs> you know, it was an anime suddenly. You know, <clears throat> which which I loved seeing, and the fact that they had different artwork like yes. coinciding because that was very anime style art. <laughs> yeah. Next to Spider-Man Noir, who's black and white. Yes, right, like the shadow or something. Yeah. yeah it's mm-hmm. like okay, this is so bonkers oh it was crazy and then you got little spider ham in his very cartoony you know art yeah, yeah. pulling out a mallet it's just like uh-huh. so awesome what do you do you have a problem with cartoons it's like, yeah perfect very <laughs> very warner brothers and did he say a line like he, he, that's all folks or something yeah or? and and which is the wonderful quote from miles you know which which is a tad fourth wall breaking of can he say that can legally? he say that Legally, right? <laughs> and, and why don't we jump into that without giving any legal advice or second-guessing what the lawyers did? So I don't know if they're going to argue – if they argued parody. Or it if would have gonna, to be parody, I think. Or would they just go to the Warner Brothers attorneys and say, okay, we want to do this? How much? <laughs> wow. Well, so that that's interesting, but I – well, yeah, that could be possible. You know, there is that saying that um, it is better to uh, beg forgiveness than ask permission because, you know, if you try to ask permission, people may say no, and then what do you do? Yeah, um, but it's like, hey, this is a good way to avoid a lawsuit. Yes, true. Uh, you know, what we're talking about, of course, is um, the infringement issue, and there are some exceptions, um, one of which is parody. If you're, if you're um, sort of making fun or it's... You know, some sort of commentary on the issue. Uh, another is, uh, if I recall correctly now, if it is some sort of historical significance or you're creating, you're adding to the history somehow, mm-hmm. uh, some compilation perhaps, um, then you, you may be able to get off. I think this would almost certainly fall into the parody exception, if at all. I mean, I, I don't know if a court would uphold that, but uh, that would have to be the way they were going. Yeah, that that would that would be the argument to make. The of, best one, I think. Yeah. Yeah, as opposed to, you know, it's like you think of uh, Wayne's World, where they either didn't get the rights for Stairway to Heaven, and so when you you know the movie in the theaters, it says no stairway denied. Like no he, stairway. Yeah. <laughs> and he played the riff, but like in later releases, or and I think, like when it hit video for the first time. Like they changed the the guitar riff <laughs> because yeah. there was some dispute, and like so the scene doesn't make sense anymore. Right, right, right. So I would hate for them to have to change the scene. Yeah. 
in some way. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I would do the lawyers meet on a bridge and discuss this, you know, in going like, okay, what's this going to take for us to, to do this? So you don't sue us later. Yeah. <laughs> or are they just gutsy and go like, so sue me, come on, bring it right, on. Right. Um, you guys look like the, the schmucks. Um, well, the two universes have taken shots at each other too. Remember in the first Tobey Maguire movie, Aunt May says, uh, you know, be careful, Peter, you're not Superman, you know, right? Yeah, and, and which is, I don't think that's the, I think that was an homage and like a, a hat yeah. tip. Yeah. You know, um, like mutual respect. Um, but I don't know if the Warner Brothers, uh, if that's all folks is trademarked or copyrighted in any way, shape, or form. Right. Uh, and, but again, it, it is a good parody argument. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how a federal judge would rule on that, but that's uh, uh, they're like everyone laughs. Everyone knew it was parody. You know, we're done here. There's a strong argument, yeah. But yeah. but instead of bringing that lawsuit, why not just negotiate in advance and go like we could do this, or we just cut you a check right now? That would be one way to do it. Um, it's like with uh, have you seen Ready Player One? Not yet. So it, I think it's just hit streaming. Yeah, it was recently. It's it's on movie channels now and on HBO. But um, Steven Spielberg directed that, and there are many many eighties pop culture references in there. And um, apparently, due to Steven Spielberg's stature, he was able to secure licensing rights from a lot of these properties because of the respect he commanded. Um, he got Back to the Future. He got. Um, Gundam, he got Iron uh, Giant, he got all sorts of things that probably would not be plausible or possible for other people to do. For Toho um, to license Mecha Godzilla. Mecha Godzilla, that was yeah, huge. Yeah, like that's significant. <laughs> for, yeah, right. right. Uh, for them to go down that path. Right. And, and, and hopefully. I know again, lawyers have to zealously represent people have to protect their properties, but if everyone goes like, Hey, we're all on the same team. We all have the same fan base. Let's not be jerks on right. this. Because you know, <laughs> like, like we don't, we could mutually alienate our mutual fan base. Yeah. Because there's sure there's the Venn diagram of people who like aren't into the other type of thing, but the cross section. I'm not saying it's a circle, but it's got to be close. Yeah, can we all get along, right? Yeah, like let's let's just write a check, and it's like you get this amount, and we're cool. Yeah, because uh, that this is the cost of litigating it. And we rather just give you money instead. <laughs> so, you know, on the topic of legal issues, um, you know, when we were talking about this and I kind of outlined a few ideas as well. Another thing that jumped out to me was um, when we're talking about this gigantic um, particle collider, you know, uh -huh. that brings the, that opens this rift in the universes uh, and it causes, I mean, it looks like it causes a lot of property damage, but really what we see is this like wave of reality kind of wash over the city um 
but it brought in to mind um, the possible uh, EPA violations that may be occurring at that point, you know, regulatory issues. Uh, I'm imagining a scene like we saw in Ghostbusters where, you know, Walter Peck, the EPA guy shows up and shuts them down. Um, Kingpin, even if he's not criminally prosecuted for murder, and even if he's able to defend a lot of civil lawsuits just for property damage, I don't know that he could escape the regulatory authority of the EPA here. Uh, there could be Clean Air Act violations. Um, you know, there could be a lot of issues. Uh, he could be in a lot of trouble here. Uh, maybe he got some permit to run this experiment, but I doubt that the scope of the permit would entail or allow him to uh, to cause a massive explosion in the middle of the city. You know, so uh, he may be in some legal jeopardy there. That's brilliant, and it's 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 the wonderful ending of a civil action where you know you have the large corporate defendant that says, "I'll just crush the plaintiff's attorney with a right you know asymmetrical discovery and just destroy them." Well, yes. you can't outspend the EPA; they're not going to go away. Like they they'll they'll keep they'll finish the job. <laughs> He'd have a big fight. Yeah. yeah, he would have a big fight. Yeah, that's brilliant, uh, especially the Clean Air Act violations. Well done, my friend. Well done. Potentially, yeah, Clean Air Act, maybe Clean Water Act too, if he's affecting the you know, New York water supply. But I think that the Clean Water Act is more for natural bodies of water. So if you hit the Hudson or something, perhaps. Um, but I don't know. You know, we we need to know more um, more facts, um, more evidence there. Well, that and also get out the map, you know, yeah. and, and and look at what's happening in New York City. What's right. where? Where is he based? What's what's going to get knocked out? Yes, yeah, uh, all of those factors. And if I could also um, uh, another point about the characters, I I loved um, I love Spider Gwen and Penny Parker um, because it's just been great seeing this proliferation of strong female characters in all sorts of media within the last five to 10 years. Um, we have all these heroines now, which I think is great. Um, uh, something my wife constantly has pointed out to me is that women in comics are not always portrayed in what she would consider to be a flattering light. Um, they're often arm candy or something like that. Um, you, you don't get very many truly strong female characters, at least in her mind. You know, I always counter with, well, there are Certainly some um, good characters, Captain Marvel, who will be the subject of a movie coming out very soon. Um, you have a couple strong Marvel characters. You certainly have a lot of great DC characters, Wonder Woman, Supergirl, um, you know, Mary Marvel. I mean, you know, there, there are many there. But um, we now, in the last 10 years, um, you know, we have Ray from Star Wars. Um, we have... <clears throat> Spider-Gwen, um, Mayday Parker, and I was wondering if we were going to see Jessica Drew, you know, Spider-Woman, both in the main universe, but she, in this ultimate universe, she appears as a clone of Peter Parker, but a female clone. Um, and she's just this hilarious character in the ultimate universe. Um, she has all the memories of being raised by Aunt May as well and has all the identical powers, but there were a lot of options to bring in a Jessica Drew Spider-Woman. So I was wondering if we were going to see that, see her. Uh, and there's also the other Spider-Woman that was um, a member of the West Coast Avengers. And I'm, I'm forgetting her name, but there are many other spider characters, you know, the point being that, you know, there's a lot of um, still a lot of character material 
from which to draw on. Oh, silk. You know, like there's there's a bunch. Yes. And mm-hmm. I, I think they hit the right number of characters without doing overload. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Because it's four definitely works. Yeah. Okay. Two works because you get the buddy cop thing. Three mm-hmm. works because good dynamic there. Four works. Five works. Six can work, but like after that. Yeah, you start losing track. Yeah. yeah, it's like you, the small team dynamic works, and uh, this worked well with who they had, or the number of people interacting at any one time. Yeah. Uh, also, Miles is the focus of the story. Yes, he's the through character. Yeah. And he's the one who's connected. So he's the one who's interacting with, you know, Peter Parker of 1610 or, or, 38 year old Peter and yeah. like all of that just works because of the character dynamic. Now maybe they could have done more, but I think they had a nice sweet spot. That's, yeah. The pacing, the story movement was very good. Yeah. So with that, uh, this has been fun. It's a good way to kick off uh, 2019 with Spider-Man. Yes. Uh, that's probably his best way is, as of any to start the new year is looking at Spider-Man. So, uh, and we have another Spider-Man movie coming out later. I think it is it July Spider-Man uh, far from home. I'm it? not sure what the release date is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've, I've obviously paid attention to Captain Marvel and Endgame, yeah. and uh, that's been the main focus. Because I don't want to spoil anything for Endgame by researching too much, so right. um, I I want to be happy and suppressed. So just <laughs> I'm one of those fans who's like I don't need more details. I'm just happy with what we get because this is a golden age. It'll be fun. Yeah, it has been fun and will continue to be fun. Exactly. Well, Steve, thanks so much, and uh, we'll definitely be gearing up for San Diego Comic Fest uh, at the beginning of March. And uh, everyone, thank you for tuning in, and stay geeky. Stay geeky, America. <laughs>